Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Jesse Tarr, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Mark, thank you for having me. Uh, It's great having you here. Founder of City Permit, a company that provides permit expediting services. And Jesse's got a really interesting, unique story of how he got to where he is. So we're going to hear about that. Graduated from Florida International University in 2012 with a Bachelor's of Business Administration in International Business and simultaneously enlisted in the United States Marine Corps, where he successfully completed officer candidates school during his enlistment. And he built a company called City Permit. So I'd love to hear, Jesse, your story. First of all, thank you for your service. That's important to me. You guys allow us to do what we do. And so I appreciate you doing that. But I'd love to hear your story. Go back as far as you want to go back. Talk about how you discovered your passion for what you do today. Sure. Maybe who or what inspired you to get started with it. Sure. So I'll take you back to school and I'll run through it really quick. I'm from Maryland. I got into several schools in Maryland, but I wanted to change the scenery. I wanted to change the pace. And that's what drew me to Miami and to FIU. And then I graduated and I got a job with Geico. I kind of did everything I thought I was supposed to do. I got the degree. I got the, you know, the good job and it was going great. And then about, I'd say two years into it, I just remember sitting there and I'm seeing cars getting towed in and towed out and I'm cranking out estimates. And I was like, man, there's got to be more. There has to be something different. And so I started the economy of the side hustle. 
the gig job. Sure. And I tried this and I tried that and I tried this. And I stumbled on permit expediting. I had never heard about permit expediting. I didn't really know what it was. I ran some permits here and there for my dad in high school. He had a small general contracting firm. He would do like fourplexes and smaller single family dwellings and additions. But I didn't really understand. It was just like, hey, take this paperwork to the county or the city, talk to this person and they should say this and you'll say that. And if you have any trouble, just call me. I didn't really understand the ins and outs and the intricacies of permit expediting, reading plans, code. And this pipeline job came up. It was a pipeline, I think it was for natural gas and was running through Pennsylvania, down through Maryland and into Virginia. And I got the portion that ran through like Baltimore County. And then I think it went down through Anne Arundel County and down a little farther, but we didn't win those two portions. So just so I understand, so with a pipeline, you have to get a permit for every county that it passes through? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because they were, they're constructing this pipeline and it, it has the supports and it's going through and um, there was land disturbance. And of course, the, the just the structural and architectural, yeah. architectural elements of building this pipeline. And so I had plans and it was, you know, hundreds of miles of pipeline. It was a great job. It paid really, really well. And I remember I had to go to Baltimore County and I went there a couple of times. And at the time I was bartending at nights. I was, I think I was finishing up with Geico at that point. It wasn't really working out at Geico. But I just remember thinking to myself, wow, I made more money doing this job. I didn't have to deal with drunk people. Yeah. I got to sit in air conditioning. This is great. Like, how do I replicate this? How do I duplicate this? And I started going door to door to a different trade contractors. It, where I lived, there was a bunch of warehouses close to my apartment building. It was like a warehouse zoned district. And in that warehouse district, there were a bunch of MEP contractors. And I would knock on the door and usually I would get like cussed out or kicked out or don't come back. But I would drop a business card on purpose by accident in the warehouse floor and that, well, just <laughs> hold on to this. You, know, you never know. And sure enough, like six months later, they would call me. They'd have an emergency situation. Hey, a water line blew up or somebody's AC is out and I need a permit right now. Can you do it? And I would drop everything and I'd go get it. And that started a relationship with the trade contractors. But those permits, they're small. The scope of work is usually small. But through them, I was able to get in touch with some architects. Then I got in touch with a GC. One GC called a meeting. And I'm sure a lot of architects will love this and can relate. Calls a site meeting doesn't show up to their own meeting that they called. But I showed up and the architect showed up with the lead architect on the project. And I started talking to them and they said, wow, you showed up. You know, expediters never come to the site. This is great. We exchanged information and that developed into a relationship. And so really, I was able to start developing relationships with handshakes, face-to-face, showing up on time, delivering. A lot of it's just integrity. Yeah. Doing what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it, it carries so much weight. It sounds so simple, but in the realm of construction and design, I feel like so many people, they promise all these lofty things and they never deliver. And then it's excuse after excuse. And then you're caught explaining to your customer or your boss or you know your vendors, hey, there's this delay. And then you just end up looking stupid. And so when you have somebody that you can trust and depend on, I find that it's reciprocated and more and more work comes. And that is how I was able to slowly but surely start the business and really get a consistent book of business where I was able to start doing it full time. I love that story. I love that you basically built it out of nothing, right? That you had this one opportunity where you're just like, oh, I'm just going to go do this because it's going to make me some money. Having the realization that, oh, this I made a lot of money doing this. There's probably more of this. Go out and start hustling and just basically knocking on doors and telling people you can help them. 
Right. And then just doing what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it over and over and over again, building relationships and just scaling that and just keep going on that. What does city permit look like today in terms of scale? So before I was only in DC and Montgomery County, Maryland. Now we've expanded nationwide. We have offices in Petworth, the neighborhood in Northwest DC. We also have an office in the city of Miami in Coconut Grove. It's our first commercial space. The build out should start here in just a month or so. And I'm going to host an event. I want to invite a bunch of architects and trade contractors, just people that have helped us throughout the years and say, hey, come on by and network and meet and you know there'll be food and drink. And it's just a real milestone for us as a company. In terms of staff, we're about 20 strong and we're looking to hire. The construction industry, knock on wood, hasn't slowed down. I mean, we've yeah. gone through the pandemic. We've gone through interest rates going to zero and now going up, you know, six and 7% and navigating those uh, kind of murky, uncharted waters. But construction has remained pretty steady. And so I'm looking to continue to entrench ourselves in the major metropolitan markets that we're in. There's a project in the Bahamas that I was called for that I did a site visit for. So I, we might be going international, nice. which is something I never even considered, but I'm not going to turn it down. So just the sky's the limit, truly. Tell me what City Permit does. What are the services you provide? So when I started, it was really just expediting. Permit processing, permit running, it's often called, um, where we manage the pre-construction process of dealing with the bureaucracy of the local authority having jurisdiction. And we take that off the plate of typically the architect, sometimes the GC, but often by the times the GC is declared, uh, the permit has already been spoken for, it's already been pulled, but we might pull trade permits or you know, utility or right-of-way permits for the GC. What I think differentiates us from a lot of other firms is anybody can just go to the, the, the county or the city, drop off paperwork, kind of get comments and shuffle paperwork back and forth. That doesn't really add value. It does if you're reliable and you do it on time. But if you can leverage your relationships and build relationships with the folks at the local permit office, and you can do things like set up meetings with the reviewer because they're impossible to get in touch with, or they never answer the phone, or they never respond to email, that's where you're really bringing value to your client. Permitting, as we know, can really delay or kill a job even due to soft cost. And so to keep it moving and to keep it moving smoothly is our goal. Since then, we've expanded. We offer shorty and performance bonds. We're about to become a licensed general contractor across the Eastern Seaboard. We're going to be doing insurance estimating. And I'm looking to do third-party inspections in the near future. So the company has really expanded. We also offer design and drafting services too, because there was a hole in the market where we were getting these jobs, fences, decks, retaining walls. And Architects really didn't have time. It wasn't worth their time or their money. Drafters, it was hard to find somebody. So we were able to incorporate that along with traffic control plans. So our goal is any customer that comes through our funnel, if you will, our door, whatever permitting or construction woe or challenge they have, we have a one-stop shop solution for them to make it easy and to alleviate all the challenges of construction, design, permitting. It sounds like the success that you've had and the growth that you've had has continued the foundation of those relationships, right? That that sounds oh, yeah. like that's the core of what you do is you're building relationships with these inspectors and these oh, yeah. decision makers. And so that allows you to help 
the process run more smoothly. You know the process, you know how it works. And so when an architect hires you to do that, they can spend more time on design. They can spend more time making their client happy and not spend all their time and frustration in a building department trying to get a project uh, approved. Absolutely. That's our pitch. I mean, I've run into countless architects who are sitting there. They're frustrated. They were told it was going to be an hour. Next thing you know, they've been here four hours. And I just pass them my card and I say, hey, whenever you get tired of coming down here, give us a call. Yeah, I'll sit in that seat for you. I'll sit yeah. in the seat for you. I'll take care of it for you. And then like you, just like you said, you can focus on design. You can focus on your customers instead of trying to deal with navigating the inefficiencies of the bureaucracy. You know, I don't mean to throw a stick at the counties. I think they try the best they can. I think they do the best that they can within reason, but they're just not incentivized, right? Like on the private sector, you're highly incentivized, especially as a small business, to do a great job. It's your name on the line. It's repeat business. It directly affects your bottom line. But if you're, you know, John Smith and you're kind of just clocking in every day and whether you review 10 jobs or 50 jobs, you get the same performance rating. Well, what incentive do you have to do 50 jobs? Why not just do 10 or nine even, right? Yeah. And so I think bridging that gap. And like you said, being able to speak their language. A lot of times, different counties, different cities, they have their own process. They have their own nuances and how they do things. And if you can speak their language and you can follow their process, they like dealing with you because you're an educated applicant versus you know the applicant that comes in and might not know or doesn't have the time. And now they're caught in a continual pattern of trying to train their customer. And training's terrible. Nobody likes training new people. I mean, unless you, I mean, I don't know, maybe there's like some HR people <laughs> out there. But typically training is painful and you know people don't like to do it. So if you can just come in there as an expert and bridge that gap between the private and the public sector, it just makes things flow more smoothly on both sides. Yeah. And we're talking to small firm architect business owners, right? So they're wearing dozens of hats, right? doing so many different roles and responsibilities. We talk about delegation all the time, right? Trying to find ways that take the things off our plates that we don't need to do so we can focus on the things that we're really good at and we really should be doing. Absolutely. This is one of those things, right? We shouldn't be sitting in a building department waiting for our turn so we can hand them some paper and and then have to answer the questions and go through the process. And, right. and we're not going to do enough of those to build the relationships like you have, knowing the people in the building department. Some of us have, right? I have in the few towns that I have worked in, I've built relationships and that's exactly the success, right? That's the secret of permitting Right? are those relationships, right? Then Absolutely. you get a lot farther, a lot faster when you know somebody and they trust you and they know this quality that you bring to that process. Absolutely. Let's take a quick break to say thank you to our sponsors for their support of this episode. Accurate data is crucial, especially in today's business environment. Outdated and inaccurate data leads to turnarounds, delays, and rising costs. With supply chain and staffing issues, these costs and delays can multiply. That's why a resource like RCAT.com is so important. RCAT works with manufacturers to keep their data up to date and accurate and offers it to you easily accessible and free. Use RCAT's powerful search engine to find what you need fast and download it right there on their site without needing to pay for anything. It's free. You don't even have to register. So go try RCAT.com today. That's A-R-C-A-T. Dot com. <laughs> 
Unlock your full potential as an architect business owner at Entree Architect Network. Since 2013, Entree Architect has been the premier membership community designed exclusively for small firm entrepreneur architects like you. Join a vibrant community of like-minded professionals and gain access to a wealth of resources, mentorship, and support. From comprehensive courses to expert guidance, Entree Architect Network equips you with the necessary tools to thrive in your career. Master business strategies, enhance your marketing techniques, and excel in project management, all while fulfilling your continuing education requirements along the way. Break free from the isolation and connect with a supportive network that understands the unique challenges that you face as an architect business owner. Whether you're a startup architect or a seasoned professional looking to make a difference, join us and we will help you elevate your career, boost your confidence, and unlock opportunities for your architecture firm. When our community of entrepreneur architects is linked and leveraged as one, there's no limit to the impact that we can have on the world. Visit EntreeArchitect.com today and become part of our thriving network. Unleash the full potential of your architecture business. Join Entree Architect Network today the premier global business organization for small firm architects. Learn more at entrearchitect.com. Before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about the things that you do and how permitting can affect the other things in our world. And one of the things you brought up was affordable housing. And I love that idea of having permitting connected to that. It allows us to do that. You said earlier, that often projects are killed in the permitting process through the cost of having to go through that process. A big affordable housing development approval process is long and complicated. Right. If we have someone who can go in and help facilitate that process, help manage that process, make sure that not only it gets approved, but it stays on the rails. Right. So it can be approved. Talk about how city permit does that, how they can help with affordable housing. Sure. So whether it's a massive building, you know, a thousand units plus, and you're doing some inclusionary zoning, or it's just an infill project and you're doing an ADU, right? Or you're converting a garage or perhaps a large shed to a livable space. We're solving that problem by expediting the permit process, which is delivering more units to market, whether they're going for sale or for rent. The idea is to increase the supply to match the demand because right now it's lopsided. And I don't think it's so much that the design firms out there or the GCs can't keep up. I think a lot of it is, it's often overlooked, is the bureaucracy. Right. But you can't take bureaucracy out completely. It does promote safety. It does kind of temper the delivery of units to market and make sure that things are planned accordingly so you don't have like a warehouse next to an apartment building or something like that. But I think speeding up that process, like you said, a lot of times something can be in a planning commission for two years, three years. And then it takes another two or three years to permit. Well, by that time, you know, that's five or six years. What's happened to demand? Yeah. So those 1,000 units, they're just a small crumb from the loaf of bread that needs to be addressed. And often the financing for those projects go away. Right? That right. financing is put in place at a certain point with an expectation of when that financing is going to be paid back. Right. And now we're way beyond where we expected to be because it's gotten stuck in this bureaucracy. And, you know... Maybe sometimes the investors go take their money and go somewhere else. And now you don't have the funding or your, your loan expired and you don't have that loan anymore. Right. 
and now we can't go ahead with the project simply because we don't have the funding to proceed with it. No, absolutely. I agree with that. And I think that the number one killer I see on projects is that soft cost, problems with financing, because the permit process runs over and now you're paying on something and you don't have any income to pay it with or the income that you were depending on isn't there. And so when the developer is affected in that way, it just kind of trickles downstream. And the, the person that ends up being hurt the most is the renter or the home buyer that that unit's not available anymore. Or it's now it's instead of being delivered to market in a year or two, it's now taking 10 years. So I think that's how we're addressing it. Another thing that we do, we have the city permit foundation. We focus on community enrichment, dealing with kids, minority youth in the cities that we work in. And we're just trying to educate and show like, hey, there's another option. It doesn't have to be like military or sports or, you know, along the lines of STEM. Like construction is a very broad industry. There's so many avenues that you can take. There's permit expediting, there's general contracting, project management, architecture and engineering. And there's just, there's a lot of talent out there that just doesn't know. Yeah. And if we can bring some of that talent in, not only will that uplift that community because now you're in an industry that pays very well and you can literally get a job anywhere. So if you want to move or relocate, that's not a problem. But you're also helping solve a problem of getting things from the pipeline to production much quicker. Yeah, I love that. And I appreciate that you're doing that with the foundation. Like I said, we're talking to small firm business owners. How does someone like a small firm architect work with you? First of all, how do they connect with you? But once they've connected with you, how do you get paid? How do they, you know, like the basics, how does that work? Yeah, so rest assured, we're targeting our small firm architects. We love our small firm architects. They're great clients. They tend to understand the value add. There's not a whole lot of explanation there. Same way you'd hire an accountant is the same way you'd hire a permit expediter or you have your go-to general counsel. You know, at the end of the day, you're an architect and that's where your time is best suited. Anything else is an opportunity cost. Once we've made contact, we do flat rate pricing. I've dealt with, again, not to throw stones, but I've dealt with lawyers. I love hate with lawyers because you never know what you're going to get. And it's like, oh, well, it could depend. And it's all these variables, but it's like, okay, but what's it going to cost? I need to know what it's going to cost because I need to budget. I need to project. I need to tell my customer. I've taken that frustration and turned it into a solution. We offer flat rate pricing. You know what the price is up front. We send you a proposal. We can negotiate. We can agree to the proposal or the scope. And then boom, you know what it's going to cost and you know what the expectations are. It's very clear. We communicate through Basecamp. Basecamp was bought out by Amazon several years back. It's a great, great system. It's very easy to use. We tested several and Basecamp has proven to be, and this is a shameless plug, I'm not getting paid, but it's just, it's proven to be <laughs> very, very instrumental to our operation and staying organized. Trying to manage projects through Outlook, Gmail, Monday, you know, all the other project management softwares that are out there, even like Procore. Procore is just too complicated. Trying to teach somebody Procore that has no construction knowledge is difficult. And so Basecamp helps keep us very organized. And as you know, a lot of these projects, like if you're doing a large addition, you could have a building permit, a land disturbance permit. You might have a wet utility upgrade. You might have a right-of-way permit for the sidewalk that you're repairing or replacing. Well, you've got five or six different permits. Now there's all these email threads. Well, wait, what said what? Who said where? Where are the plans? In Basecamp, you know, we're talking about the building permit and the building permit thread. We're talking about the right-of-way permit and the right-of-way permit thread. And everything's very organized. And there's no size limit on file transfers. I had early, early on, I had run into some issues where architects were uploading plans. Plans can be pretty heavy. And 
it wasn't working through email or Bluebeam was down or Newforma. And I just found that Basecamp was a great way. It's super user-friendly. And the other great thing about it is for people that don't have time to learn something new, no issue. It'll email you directly to your native email server and you don't have to sign up. So we do our best to make it as simple and painless of a process as possible. Like a lot of small businesses, we had our fair share of accounting troubles years ago. Got that all squared away. We're working with an excellent CPA now. We bill via QuickBooks Online. We accept any major form of payment. So again, just making it easy so that when our customer comes to us, it's easy. Every step of the process, the sales process is easy. The operations process is easy. The accounting process throughout is easy. And it just makes their life better. They don't have to spend time and effort dealing with the permitting, paying for the permit. Where do I send the check? We take care of all of that. We take care of everything. A to Z. Yeah. You're very inspiring to understand how you started this company, where you are now. So many lessons just learned through what you just talked about. Lots of value in this episode for sure. So thank you for that. Before we wrap up, I want to ask you the one question I ask everybody here. If there was one thing that you could talk with a small firm architect in order for them to do one thing today to build a better business for tomorrow, what would that suggestion be? I would say, and we talked about this a little bit offline, delegation. I think it applies to any business. It was something that I struggled with. You know, when I went from just being a one-man show to two-man, and then what do I do with the money? And okay, now I have to let go of the vine. And, and it's very challenging. Like that's your money. That's how you're getting paid, or that's your baby, and you brought it this far, and your reputation is great. And if I hire this new person, are they going to care as much? And the, and the simple answer is, I don't think anybody will care as much as you do, per se but you necessarily don't need people that care as much as you do. You just need somebody that maybe cares 80% and they operate with integrity and they operate with character. And if they're there from nine to five, they're there from nine to five. And then, you know, they go home and they do their thing. But I would say if I could go back, I wish I would have gotten a CPA much sooner. I thought I couldn't afford it, but it ended up costing me like triple <laughs> and like a whole mess with the IRS that I had to get out of. And it was just crazy. And I wish I would have yeah. gotten a CBA much sooner. For an architect, I think, like you said, one of the biggest opportunity costs, and this is a plug, and I will say it, is hire an expediter. doesn't have to be us. Get a good local expediter. There are a lot of national outfits that'll subcontract or hire you know, Joe Blow from Craigslist. That's not what you want. You want somebody that's local, has boots on the ground. Even though a lot of stuff has gone virtual, we still need to send people to these offices from time to time and do a face-to-face because we just can't get in touch. And there's nothing like being able to send somebody at a moment's notice, like, hey, I need you down at the DCRA permit office, or I need you at the city of Miami tomorrow, because we have to set up this meeting and it's not moving and I don't know what's going on. Or I need you to go to city hall and shake some feathers because it's been past the allotted time. So I would just say delegation. Get experts that can do something, do one thing really, really well, that will also offload things from your plate. Like You don't want to be a lawyer and an expediter and an accountant and accounts receivable offload those things. Find people that can do those things for you, whether it be hiring in-house or finding a trusted vendor, third-party vendor. Great answer. His name is Jesse Tarr. The company is City Permit. You can learn more about the company and connect with them at citypermit.us. Citypermit.us is the website. Jesse, if somebody wanted to reach out to you directly, what's the best way they can connect with you? I'd say email. It's sales, S-A-L-E-S, at citypermit.us. And I know a lot of people, oh, I don't want to buy anything. Don't worry. We're not going to pressure you. Our product sells itself, right? 
but that's the best way to reach out because that email is monitored by seven different people. And I get so many emails that a lot of times if you email me directly, it goes to spam or I miss it. Or call the number on the website. We love phone calls. I love to have conversations. I feel like with COVID, this virtual thing is great and it's sped up a lot of things, but we lost a lot of that interpersonal yes. communicative aspect Agreed. of dealing with each other. So a phone call is great and we can set up a meeting just like this and get to meet each other. All right. Sounds good. Jesse Tarr, citypermit.us. Thank you. Thanks for coming by, sharing your story, doing the work that you do, making our job as architects a little bit easier. And I appreciate you for coming by and sharing your knowledge here today at Entree Architect Podcast. Mark, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. You're welcome. If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a five-star rating, write a quick review, and share a link to this episode with a friend because that is how Entree Architect has grown to serve thousands more architects just like you. By sharing a rating, write a review, share a link to this episode with a friend. I appreciate you for that. Thank you to all our sponsors for this episode, RCAT and Entree Architect Network. Links to sponsors and all the resources we discussed today are available at the show notes for this episode and every episode found at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. Entree Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network, the next evolution of interactive media and resources for the AEC community and beyond. You can now earn continuing education credits for listening to this podcast. Select episodes of Entree Architect Podcast are approved for AIA continuing education credit. Learn more about our new Gable Members program at gablemedia.com slash members. That's G-A-B-L media.com slash members. Thank you for listening to this episode of Entree Architect Podcast. My name is Mark Arlapage. Love, learn, and go share what you know. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long-term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name?
<laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. And so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success. <laughs>